Hello friends, welcome to Meal Tip Tuesday and our Everyday Mealmanship Podcast. I'm glad you're hanging out with us. Um, today I want to thank our sponsors. We got a we got three of them to mention. Uh, first one is Colt Saddlery. Colt Naring builds some really good saddles and gear. If you're looking for a good custom saddle, a good mule saddle that fits, uh, look them up. You can find them on Facebook. Type in Colt Saddlery and he'll take care of you. Tell him Ty sent you. I also want to thank Western Mule Magazine. Ben and Anita Tennyson have done a good job for a long time putting together a great magazine and we actually write for them. So if you're not subscribed to Western Mule Magazine, you need to check them out, check our articles out. And uh, also, if you ever have a suggestion for something you'd like me to write about for Western Mule Magazine, uh, just shoot me an email, ty at tsmules.com and I will do my best to write about the topic you want to hear about. And last but not least is Mules and More magazine. Corey Daniels over there at Mules and More does an excellent job putting this magazine together. I, uh, I've been a subscriber to the Mules and More magazine for a long time. A lot of good stories, a lot of good contributors there. Um, great magazine. And also, you can get Mules and More uh, digitally. You can get it online. Um, I personally still like the physical copy. Uh, I like to hold the magazine, but if, you, if you're somebody that just likes to download it on your phone, read it on your phone, then Meals and More is going to fit you well. So look them up, mealsandmore.com. Appreciate all those sponsors. Uh, so today, Meal Tip Tuesday, I got a bunch of questions, and we've been behind, uh, shoot, last week, Last week was a little rough. I was hoping to do Mule Tip Tuesday, but I had a I had a tooth go bad on me, and I thought I was tough, but apparently I am a wimp. Um, man, toothaches hurt. That was ridiculous. I've I've broken a lot of bones. I've broken my back. I've broke my femur, my arm, wrist, fingers, my toes, foot. I mean, all sorts of stuff. And and uh, shoot. That toothache was ridiculous. I could not get a handle on it. Um, anyways, ended up infection going down into my jaw, and and uh, man, it it was it was a little rough. So I sorry I missed Meal Tip Tuesday last week. Um, I was writing all this stuff down while I was bearing down through the pain. So uh, we have a whole bunch of good questions that I want to get to today, and um, let's let's do it. Let's get started. So the first question comes from Mr. Scott Nichols, and Scott writes, um, he, he he wants to know some tips on not dulling a young mule, how to not dull a young mule. Um, and where this question came from was a previous podcast where we talked about uh, when you're working with these weanlings, working with yearlings, not to do too much. Uh, a lot of people do a ton of desensitizing um, and I don't really enjoy that word anymore. Uh, I used to use it a lot, and now I like the word. Um, and, I, and I learned this from Jim Hicks, but he talks about familiarizing. I like to get them familiar, but I don't want them desensitized. I want sensitive mules, or else I won't be able to get them to do anything I want. You know, turns and stops and backing up and changing leads and, you know, going to the rough country. So, um this question is rooted from that, you know, talking about, you know, don't get these young ones too dull. 
Um, so his question is, how much or what work would you do with a new foal to get them accustomed to being handled but not doled down? And he's got a part two to this. I'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, with the babies, Scott, with these weanlings, with these yearlings, and even with two-year-olds, um, I just do a little bit. Like today, for example, uh, you know, I'm getting ready to fly to North Carolina. And so I just got a few minutes. And this morning I was out there and, and we just went out and just brushed this, the weanlings. Just all we did is just brush them. This guy was out there, just brushed them and pet them a little bit. And I mean, wasn't even three minutes of time spent with each one of them, but that's all we did. And that's fine for today. Um, you know, last week I caught them and I, I did just a little groundwork. The groundwork session was literally five minutes or less. Um, you know, just just kind of cleared the front, sent them over here, cleared the front, sent them over there, some circles, stop them, leave them alone, and just short little little periods of time. So I might I might come out and handle them, and I like to handle the young ones with my hands. I like to uh, take my hands all over their neck and their back and their belly and down their legs and uh, by their ears and over their muzzle and just get them really familiar with my hands on them. And then... Um, and, and that's, you know, as far as familiarizing or, like I said earlier, the word desensitizing. You know, I don't do a lot. Maybe I'll get them used to a saddle pad. Um, and Scott, I, I can't remember if you're on our video library or not, but, you know, I got a whole collection of weanling and yearling videos on there. And you can see what we're doing with these weanlings and yearlings. It's no secret what we're doing. I'm putting it out there for you guys, uh, getting this little saddles on them and, you know, get around to little tarps and, and a, a flag and some ropes and stuff like that. But that's that's the extent of, of what I'm getting them used to. Um, for the most part, I'm, I'm doing little segments of groundwork. And just do a little. I, and don't feel like you need to have a, a time limit on any of these things. Just go out and play around a little bit. And when things are going good, just leave them alone. So, anyways, Scott, that was a good question. Your part two... Scott has a part two, so um, he says, can I undole the mule I'm working with? So maybe he's already done too much. Maybe he's got a youngster that's pretty pushy, um, doesn't know how to yield. Yes, you can get them so they're not dull. Um, believe me, you know, I guarantee, and this is, a, this is an old uh, analogy, uh, an example, but, you know, I've heard people tell me, well, they can fill a fly, you know, Tom Dorrance would talk about and Ray Hunt would talk about how, you know, as long as the horse can still fill a fly, land on its back and it swishes its tail at the fly, why, there's still hope. There's still a chance that you can get them operating for you. So I, I'm sure your mule is still annoyed by a fly. And think about how much pressure a fly applies to your mule to get them to do something. You know, and, and the mule knows, all right, well, this fly comes up and it can feel that little, the little legs on its back. And they know they better get that fly off because the next thing they're going to do, the fly's going to bite a little bit. And so think about what that takes. And I think a lot of times we handle them too heavily. We, we do too much um, and we're not precise with the pressure we're putting on. So somebody might put on a lot of pressure but it's just kind of a shotgun blast of pressure. It's not really accurate. <clears throat> and because of that, we don't, get, we don't get a very accurate answer from the mule. So 
maybe maybe you do need to firm up a little bit and drive the mule off a little bit, but it's how you put the pressure on, it's how you apply it, where you apply it, when you apply it, and you can get them so they're not dull. And also, just being aware of them. Some of these mules, we call it dull. Basically, they just go into this survival, this freeze mode, and we think they're dull, but really they're just ignoring the world so that they can get along. And that's our fault. Sometimes we don't pay enough attention to the mules. Sometimes we don't give them enough credit where credit is due. We're not aware. I've mentioned this a lot of times in previous podcasts. Every good horseman, muleman I've ever met, every one of them, they all have one common thing for sure, and that is awareness. They are aware of how the mule is feeling. They're aware of how they are feeling. They're aware of their environment around them and how that's affecting both parties. So having some awareness would help a lot too there. And if you're not aware, you're not going to help this mule get undull, as you say. Um, the other thing too, ask specific questions. Usually I find people that will call their mule dull or they'll say these things. They're, they're not asking specific enough questions. They're not thinking to the feet. So think to them feet, ask specific questions, decide where you want to go. And that'll help a bunch. So anyway, Scott, that's a good question. A couple of good questions there. I appreciate you. All right, so the next question we got comes from Michelle Carden. Michelle is down in Flagstaff, Arizona. And uh, Michelle's been to one of my clinics before down in Sayurita, Arizona. And she's got a donkey named Rosie. And um, Michelle is dedicated to getting Rosie to be a bridal donkey, which is amazing. I would love to see that. And I was I was actually teasing her about it a little bit down there at the clinic about making this bridal donkey. And she says, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a bridal donkey. And so I can't wait. But she's saying she's having some trouble with transition. She can't get the her Rosie, her donkey, to change speeds. So I wanted some tips on changing speeds and going through those transitions. Um, my best suggestion to you, Michelle, and this is also me knowing the donkey and knowing Michelle, uh, which is a lot of times I don't know these people and, and their animals, but this in this case I do. You know, Rosie really needs you to ask smaller questions of her. So instead of trying to get a walk, trot, lope, Michelle, I'm going to try to get a slow walk, which Rosie's good at, I know, right? Uh, a slow walk, I'm going to try to get a medium walk, and I'm going to try to get a fast walk. And then I'm going to try to get that fast walk a little faster. I'm going to try to get the slow walk a little slower. I'm going to work on getting those two faster and slower, faster and slower, and just trying to shift up and down just in the walking speeds. Don't even think about trotting, just in the walking speeds. You could go your entire ride just shifting up and shifting down, and that is so good. I wish all of you would do that more often. Um, a lot of us just think walk, trot, lope, but there's so many things within those you can do. And then, Michelle, when you'd like her to get into a trot, just ask her to <clears throat> excuse me, ask her to walk as fast as she can walk. Keep pushing, keep asking as fast as she can walk, and as soon as she attempts to trot, leave her alone. Let her go right back to a walk and just walk down the trail maybe for 10 minutes. Don't even... Don't even bother. 
and then 10 minutes later down the trail, ask her again. Walk as fast as you can, as fast as you can, and as soon as she tips over to a trot, leave her alone. And Rosie, you know, in, in her case, I don't think it's gonna do you good to come out here today and work on all your transitions, meaning working on trotting and loping. I think it'd be better for Rosie, Michelle, for you to work on, like I said, maybe the next couple weeks, just focus on really um, breaking apart the walking speeds, faster and slower walking, really focus on that. Um, and then maybe the next week you can work on getting into that trot. And then the next week you work on the trotting speeds, a faster, slower, medium trot, whatever, shift up, shift down. Um, and, and you get those things dialed in and then you trot her as fast as you can. You know, maybe this is, maybe this is a month later, Michelle. You trot her as fast as you can. Let her find the lope. And as soon as she just breaks into a lope, relax. Now, here's the problem that a lot of people make on this. And I don't think Michelle's going to make this, but I'm going to mention this for all of you listening out there. When people get working on transitions, specifically the lope, they'll, they'll finally get the lope. And, and then they'll be excited they got it. But they know they should slow down and reward it. And then they pull they pull on the mule or the donkey or the horse. They pull on the reins to slow them down. So what I want you to do is just relax in your seat and let them slow down. Let them find that, that shift down. Leave them alone. That's where we want to start. We don't want to pull on them. Pulling on them through these transitions is the easiest way for you guys to ruin your transitions. I promise you. So shift up and down with the life in your body. So Michelle, hopefully that gives you some some tips, something to work on there. Spread that out over, I'd say, spread that out, out over the next three or four weeks. Um, really spread it out for the rest of her life. You know, this is something that never ends. I'm st I work on this all the way into the bridle. So from the snaffle bit to the hackamore, the two rein, and into the bridle, I'm always working on riding on course, on a loose rein, at all speeds and transitions. So I'm trying to get that very smooth. Thank you, Michelle. Next question comes from Miss Lisa. Lisa Whitney is her name. I'm not sure where Lisa's from. Or if I do, I don't remember. Uh, Lisa, she says, um, her question is, clearing the front, how to get the outside foot to lead. So um, <clears throat> Lisa's question is in reference to the groundwork that we do. And the very first step of the groundwork, we call it clearing the front. Say, if you came to a clinic maybe five years ago, six years ago, I taught you to initiate your groundwork by driving behind the shoulder in the beginning. Since then, I've learned that I can clear the front first to initiate my movement, and it just begins the yield right off the bat. And so that's what she's kind of asking about is this very first step of clearing the front, getting that front end to yield away from us. So picture it. You're on the ground, you got your lead rope in your right hand, you got a flag in your left hand, the mule is directly in front of you, okay? And you want the mule to go to your right and kind of away from you and to your right. So what the mule needs to do, because the mule's facing you, okay, right now, you need to get that mule to pick up his left front foot. That left front foot needs to step out and back a little bit so it's going to your right and it's going away from you that way the mule gets on the haunches it shifts its weight back to the haunches 
and that front end is going away from you. So we call that clearing the front. How we're going to accomplish this is by pointing our rein. Point your hand where you want the foot to go. So don't stick your hand clear out just to the side, but point that rein where you want the foot to go. This is the number one mistake in clearing the front. And some of you might have a hard time picturing this. And I hope I'm painting enough of a picture for you to, to visualize it. If not, go watch the videos. But <clears throat> point the rein where you want the foot to go. So I'm not going to just send my rein out to my right. Um, you know, so picture your arm, you know, being, uh, you know, horizontal with your body. You, you don't need that. In fact, my arm is probably going to be right out ahead of me. So my arm coming back to my shoulder and my chest is almost making a 90 degree angle. I don't know if you can picture that in your mind. Because I'm pointing where I want the foot to go. The foot's going to go to the side, but back away from me. I'm actually putting that foot further away from me. Because that whole shoulder, that whole front end needs to yield to me. I want the mule to get on its haunches. So, but her question more specifically is how to get that outside front foot to lead. Remember, Lisa, we want to reach first. So if I'm facing the mule and I want the mule to go to my right, that mule needs to move the left front foot first. I don't want them to cross over. I don't want the right front foot to come across first. That's not going to suit me. That, that takes them off balance. I want them to have a big reach, get on their haunches, get a big reach, and the offset comes along with some balance. So the easiest way to get that front foot that outside front foot to lead is by asking, you know, in the beginning, what foot is easiest? So I want to teach them. I want to help them. You'll figure out that if I send them this way, I want that foot to go. If I send them that way, I want that foot to go. So basically, if I send them to my right, their left front should lead first. If I send them to my left, their right front should lead first. Okay, that's the what I want to get done. And I and I offer the chance by in the very beginning, whatever foot is forward is going to be the easiest for that mule to move. So I don't really care which way I go in the very beginning. I don't care at all. I'm just going to send them. All right. And I'm going to help them build that muscle memory, help them build that mental connection that if we go that way, I want, I want them to move that foot. Now, her question is more specific. Okay, well, I want to go to the right, my right the human's right, so I need to move that mule's left front foot, but that left front foot is not ready. That left front foot is not forward. But how do I get that foot to leave? Now here's where it comes later on. It doesn't matter. It's really not that big a deal. They might have to take a slight step with the offset and then have a big reach, and that's fine too. So it's not like a, a deal breaker if they don't reach first, but I'm saying as I'm teaching it, I want them to reach first. And I hope this is making sense to a lot of you listening that maybe aren't familiar with this. So Lisa, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, also, if you, <coughs> excuse me, if you practice enough and you do this and you set them up for success enough, they will make accommodations with their own body later on to have this big reach. So good question, Lisa. I hope that helps you. Thank you for asking. <clears throat> All right, Sarah Bulgatz from California, right? I'm pretty sure she's from California. Sarah Bulgatz. Uh, she got a meal named Tyrone. And 
Tyrone stumbled. She lost her reins. Um, so picture that. She's riding out there. She's working on some transitions. Some, she says she's working on some Gymkhana movements. So a lot of transition work, I imagine, mingled with turns. And Mule stumbles. She kind of trips and goes over the front herself, drops the reins. When the mule gets up, he kind of he starts to buck a little bit because she has no reins, and she comes off. So she wants to know why he started bucking. Well, there's a couple things. The why, and that's her question, is why did he start bucking? You know, when you when when an animal trips, and this is why, you guys, we are so critical about balance. You hear, you hear me in the clinics talk about balance and timing, and I want you guys to know where those feet are all the time. But balance is so crucial because if you don't have balance, that animal does not feel balanced. They don't feel safe. They don't feel sure-footed. They don't feel like they got their feet under them, so to speak, right? Maybe literally. Um, they don't feel that security of their own feet being able to take them and get them out of the danger, out of the trouble. They don't have that. So they trip, and it has a way, when these animals trip sometimes, sometimes it puts them on the instinct. Like, when they trip, they have some internal instinct that says they are vulnerable. Picture the wolves following the herd, right? They go for the weak ones. So something about a mule tripping, a horse tripping, a donkey tripping, almost instantly makes that animal feel vulnerable. Okay, so this mule trips. Sarah probably kind of falls forward on the front, probably on the neck, drops the reins. Well, now, Sarah, you're in a position just the same as if a mountain lion jumped on the dude's back. And... You know, it doesn't make sense to a lot of us. We're like, well, he's been real. He's a, he's a domestic animal. He ain't wild. Why would he? Why would the instinct, you know, affect him? The instinct is pretty strong, and you know, you're just dealing with nature. And so, in that moment, you kind of get that frogging. The other thing too, Sarah, is everything feels more challenging, more difficult without reins. Reins, just having something in your hand, provides you a lot of balance. Even if you're on a loose rein, just holding a loose rein offers you balance. It's amazing how that works with your own brain. And so what happens here too is maybe you drop those reins, you're way out of balance now. You don't have that balance in your hand. And he maybe just does a couple little frog hops, which on any other given day maybe doesn't affect you at all. You don't even acknowledge it. But today um, it feels like more. It is more. Maybe it is more. I'm not saying it's not. And you come, you come down and it's a bad deal. So, you know, the, the why... The why is probably has something to do with him getting a little troubled, shifting over that instinct, that self-preservation mode, um, that lack of confidence mode. Uh, confidence is such a big key for our relationship with our animals. You know, we need to be building confidence because if we're not building confidence, helping the mule find us, um, helping the mule find confidence in us, then the relationship never really bl blossoms. So, you know, Sarah, um, honestly, with this whole situation, I'm just going to not worry about it. And she did uh, get back on Tyrone, and she said she finished her session and all went well. So, you know, I wouldn't think too hard about it, Sarah. But just know that that's typically what's happened there. 
um, is, is, you know, he kind of shifted over to a little bit of an instinctual side, um, gets going faster than you want. It feels more than you are used to. And, and, uh, anyways, I hope that's, uh, uh, gives you something to kind of think about a little bit. Um, but the main thing I'd say to you, Sarah, the main advice I'd say is don't worry <clears throat> too much about it. Don't let it affect you too much. Move on and just keep doing what you're doing. Tyrone's a good mule. Okay, <clears throat> excuse me. Last question is from Kate Vassell. And this is an interesting question. Um, basically, her question is, how much do older mules influence younger mules on leaving a group? Um, basically, she's saying her, she, has, she has some older mules that are herd-bound and they're <coughs> kind of the way they are, you know, and it's kind of hard to change some of these things she's saying and um but she has she's wanting she has some younger mules wants to get more younger mules and she's wondering how much these older mules these established part members of the herd are going to affect the new generation the next generation and the answer is it could be a lot um or it might not be much at all mules are interesting some of them are very much followers and some of them are very much independents and, you know, some of them, you know, for example, if I got a, a bunch of mules out here that are real scared, real worried, real snorty, and I, and I, and I bring home this sweet, sweet, super friendly, super um, confident mule, it could go either way. It could go where the others influence him and he becomes snorty and worried because the rest of the herd is snorty and worried and they are herd animals. It could also go the other way to where he actually gives the others confidence because you come out, this mule meets you at the gate, the other ones are all happy to be there. That's one example. Um, and they, you know, but her question is more towards this herd bound deal. And that's all a very much an individual basis. It's not, um, we say herd bound, but it's really individual bound. You know, each of them, Meaning that one animal may be attached to the whole herd, but that whole herd is not attached to that one animal often. Um, sometimes, but not often. It's usually one animal attached to the whole herd, right? Because the rest of them find safety in their numbers. So like, well, well, uh, Joe's gone, so see ya. But we're, we're, we're together, so we're okay. So um, I wouldn't worry about it too much, Kate. Uh and she's, she also had a, another part of this question asking about, you know, making some bridal mules. She's, and Kate is one of, one of the, the few that come to the clinics, and she is super dedicated. She wants to make some bridal mules. She really wants to, she's pretty serious about making some advancement. And, and um, you know, a, a lot of folks come to my clinics, they just maybe trying to get along, maybe fix some problems. But it's really fun when you guys come and you want to get better and you actually want to follow uh, this buckaroo tradition of making a bridal mule, going from the snaffle bit to the hackamore to the two-rein, and you guys aren't interested in gimmicks and, and combination bits and blah, blah, blah. So Kate's pretty cool that way. Um, so she's also asking, you know, Ty, rather than working these older mules, trying to get, you know, trying to fix this old stuff up, trying to basically restart everything 
would it be better to sell these older mules and start fresh? And, and Kate, that is such an individual choice. Um, you know, you can still bring out the best in those older mules. Um, so if it's a choice of you saying, well, I, I, you know, I don't need this many mules. I want some fresh stuff. Well, yeah, you can yeah, move them along and start fresh if you want. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big bite to chew for sure. Um, but that's what I do, Kate. I buy weanlings and I raise them up and I finish them out that way. That's, you know, but by the time I buy the weanling, um, you know, it's, it's a long time before they're, they're in the bridle. Take my mule Riata, for example, and I didn't buy Riata, but I won her. I won Riata as a weanling at the American Mule Trainers Challenge in 2015. She was just a weanling. She was the prize. So I won her. And, you know, now she's, she just turned six years old last week and she's almost, she's just, she's ready. I, I just need to, I just need to do it. I just need to take the step, but she's ready to, um, to graduate to the Hackamore. Okay. She's six years old. So I'm going to spend another year in the Hackamore. So this time next year, she's going to be seven. I'm going to be putting her in the two rain. And then in two years from now, so she's going to be eight years old minimum before she is straight up in the bridle. So I got eight years of investment. That's a long time uh, to get her in the bridle. A lot of hours. I mean, I mean that's so many, uh, so many hours of, of investment with this mule. It's huge, right? So, uh, Kate, that's what I do. I like to start with the youngsters. Um, you know, and if you don't need the older mules, you know, there's a lot of people that would probably love them. And right now, mules are incredibly valuable. And so if you've got a, an older mule that's just a good, safe, quiet, older mule, maybe it's not as handy as you want it to be and it doesn't ha- it's not the caliber that you want it to be, but it's a good, safe trail mule, oh, those are very valuable right now. And you could move them along and go buy you some fresh, young prospects and get to work and a few years down the road you'll start reaping the reward so all right so that's our questions for today those are some really good questions if any of you have questions for mule tip tuesday um i am happy to help you out so you can just send me an email ty at tsmules.com make sure you put in the subject line question for mule tip tuesday and uh we'll, we try to get to these um just so you know, I get behind on my emails pretty bad. And the questions that, however, the questions that are for Mule Tip Tuesday get pushed to the top. So uh, feel free to ask on there. And we're happy to talk about these things and answer these things for you. So, hey, if I could ask you one favor, if you enjoyed today's episode of our Everyday Mulemanship podcast and our Mule Tip Tuesday show, if you enjoyed it, if you found any value in it at all, would you please leave a review? Let me know what you think. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know how it was for you. Um, and also leave a rating. Leave five stars. If you think we deserve five stars, we'd be so grateful if you would leave that five-star rating and review. And uh, as always, God bless. Hope to see you guys down the road at a clinic sometime, and we'll catch you later. <music>